back in the old house, in the old house that Jenny and I lived in, I had two lawnmowers. I had the red one, and the red one was a cheapy one that I had picked up at Ace Hardware, uh, but it was lightweight, and I had the blade sharpened every year, and I love that mower. And then I had a green one, and the green one was a hand-me-down from Dad. And in fairness, Dad, it was a better mower. I mean, it was a lawn boy. It was more expensive, but it was big and bulky, and I just never got around to getting the blade sharpened. At any rate, I had a friend whose lawnmower died, okay? So uh, he calls me, you know, Max, uh, could I borrow your mower? Well, how many mowers do I have? Two. So I have one that I can lend out, right? The green one. And, and he comes over to the house, and before I can go out back to meet him, he's already done the thing, and he's determined that he's going to borrow the red mower, and I get out there, he's like, oh, Max, thank you so much. This is so generous of you. This is great. This red mower will work fine. You know, uh, my wife and I, just gonna, they, they were going to Dave Ramsey it, so they were saving. So he knew it would take five weeks to save what they needed for the lawnmower. So this was a five-week borrow. And I'm, I'm, you know, on the inside having that battle. God, that's the red mower. And I love my friend, but he's not like me. Like when I mow... I go through the lawn. I look for sticks and rocks and, you know, broken water mains, things that could, mo- things that could destroy your mower. But I knew my buddy. He's just rip and go. Okay? I love him, but that's just how he goes through life. Well, you know, we're loading this up on, into the trunk of his car, and it goes away. And, you know, he's thinking Max is the most generous guy in the world, and I'm having this inward struggle. Generosity is like that, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's not easy, even when you have more than you need, let alone when you're just scraping by. Uh, my in-laws, my in-laws are amazingly generous people. Over the years, they have helped Jenny and I do all kinds of things. And when we've gotten to moments where it's been, we can't afford it or we don't have the money for X, you know, they'll throw in this magic in-law word. Oh, there's a scholarship, which means that they just want to give us some money to help us do whatever it is. And even though they could afford it, uh, even though they could afford to drive nicer, newer cars, they don't. In fact, my father-in-law still drives his 1994 Geo Prism which has the front passenger end, the whole quarter, is 100% duct tape. It's all duct tape. And he's a college professor at William & Mary. He drives us around, drives Karen nuts, but, you know, he's like, I don't care. So, and and the reason it's all duct tape is because both my wife and my mother-in-law suffer from MRIS. Have you not heard of this MRIS? I mean, you've gone to college, everybody jokes about the MRS degree. MRIS is different. It's minivan reverse impact syndrome. What happens is, you know, and Jenny's hit my car a couple of times. Um, Paul, she's hit your car, right, if Paul Huber's here. Um, You know, it just happens. And my mother-in-law's the same way. She's hit like five or six cars in her driveway just backing out. It goes in reverse, and then MRIS takes over. And that's how the prism got broken. Well, you know, when you hit your own car, who's at fault? You are. And so they, they... you know, that's how that works. And so they didn't file a claim, and it's all duct tape. And Dave, he doesn't care. My father-in-law doesn't care. For, to him, a car is just a tool to get you from point A to point B. It's no big deal. And so uh, they're like that. And, they, and, they, and they, 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 they fund money to God projects, and they invest in people. And part of that's woven into this mindset that they have. My mom is no different. I'll, I'll come home from time to time, and my mom, the, the grocery fairy will have visited my house, and that's my mother, and there'll be all these sacks of groceries uh, sitting there. And I know some of you are thinking, man, I wish my parents were like that. Well, of course you do. And you want to know why? 
Because when you're on the receiving end of generosity, when you're on the receiving end, it doesn't matter whether it's your parents or a coworker or a friend or somebody in church, when you're on the receiving end, there's a part of you, and you know what you're thinking? That person's amazing. Man, you know what? Everybody, everybody should be like that. That's how it should be. And you think that because God is like that. God is generous. It's part of his nature. I mean, the most famous verse, the one they do in, in sports arenas, John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he... Ah, oh, see? It's just in his nature to give. Love gives, and God's that way. Unfortunately, when we talk about giving in church, we tend to reduce it to one of two things. We either turn it into a spiritual pr- premium, which was the investment guy on the skit, I give and God gives more. I mean, put in $10, God's going to give you 100 Put in $10,000, God's going to give you a million. He just, you can't give out God. And, you know, we throw that around and it's true, but, you know, we, we have a tendency to reduce it into this spiritual premium, this kind of transaction thing. And so that you're only doing it so that you can get, you give to get. And that's kind of a, a not so great motivation. And then the other way we tend to do it in churches is we make it all about guilt. And, you know, we bring out all the verses and we clobber you so that when the plate is passed, you put it in, but you're thinking, fine, take it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Take it, God. Not happy about it. And that doesn't work either, okay? And neither one of those. See, giving is not about getting, and giving is not about uh, trying to get God off your back. Giving is actually about faith. Uh, Faith is this settled confidence that God actually is good enough and powerful enough to know what you need and provide what you need. That's faith. And, and giving is also a matter of the heart. In, in Matthew 6, Jesus uh, tells us uh, this thing, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Treasure and hearts are linked. And so giving is about focusing your heart. Uh, when you give money and stuff away, uh, you start to care about the things God cares about, and your heart starts to beat like God's heart beats. Um, today, I want to challenge you to give back a portion of what God has given you financially because giving back to God actually helps you learn to trust God and it shows God that you can be trusted with his stuff. Um, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to be in Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is all about um, wisdom, getting wisdom. If you've got a teenager at home, pay them to read the book of Proverbs. Offer them $40. I'll give you $40 to read the book of Proverbs and give me a one-page summary of what that book is all about. John Maxwell would do this with his kids. I'm not, I'm, I'm not kidding. This is a great idea. Just pay, you know, Proverbs is all about wisdom. And, and the writer of Proverbs, in Proverbs, it, it says, it basically, wisdom is better than silver or gold. Wisdom is worth pursuing. And, and real wisdom, according to this book, according to Proverbs, real wisdom is all about learning how life really works so that you live life well. Because when you're going against how life works, you get a lot of bloodied noses, don't you? Okay, and so the writer of Proverbs knows this. Solomon knows this, okay? Uh, a, proverb, a proverb is really just an abbreviation for something that happens in life all the time, and so we give it a name. That's what a proverb is. Let me, we have some in English, and you can, you can finish these for me. Don't cry over spilt. Don't get upset over things that happened in the past and worry about them because it's in the past. You can't change it. That's, you know, it's a proverb. Uh, practice makes there's no shortcut to getting really good at things except hard work Uh, beggars can't be yeah if you need help you can't you're not you can't afford to be demanding 
you know, if you need help from someone, you can't be, it doesn't, you know, they go, oh, nope, not helping you, okay? When the cat's away, ah, when there's no enforcement of the rules, it's chaos, baby, <laughs> okay? And, and, and so those are some Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 3, we actually have five sets of these Proverbs, these abbreviations about what it means to trust God. And the first one is found in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And this is what it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will direct your paths. Okay, the first part of that, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Stated another way, trust that God knows how things ought to go and stake your life on it. And, and the, the Hebrew part of lean not on your own understanding has this uh, imagery of leaning on a broken crutch. If you've got a broken crutch and you're putting all your weight on it, you're going to have an elbow or a knee injury or worse. You're going to hear this sound, and it's UK1, we're en route, you know, okay? You just don't want, that's not a sound you want to hear, okay? And then verse 6, uh, seek his will in all you do, and he will direct your paths. The old way of saying it is, in all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your marriage ways, in all your relationship ways, in all your professional ways, and yes, even in all your financial ways, acknowledge him. And acknowledging him isn't just some kind of confession, well, Jesus is Lord. Um, you know, Solomon has in here staking your life on it, living as though it's actually the case. When you've staked your life on God and God's ways, he will direct your paths. That's the second part of the verse. And the, uh, the literally, it means make your path straight. In the ancient world, a straight, level road is a really safe road. You can tell if there's robbers. You don't have to worry about going off the side of a cliff. A level, straight road is a safer road to travel. And that's what the writer is wanting you to get through those verses. And then skip down to uh, Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything your land produces. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with the finest wine. Okay, and this first part, honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything. He's, he's talking about this thing called cultic offerings. I know you're going, oh, that doesn't sound good. That's going to be on CNN. Okay, wait a minute. Cultic offerings, cultic offerings in the Old Testament is the dough, grain, first fruits of your harvest, the stuff that the land would produce. You would gather that up and bring it to the temple, to the storehouse. Okay, it was a gift back to God from the first part. And because it was an agrarian society back then, uh, they didn't have dollar bills. They had gold coins, but they didn't have dollar bills. And ag agricultural stuff, dough, uh, grain, that was the currency of the day. So this translation is right on the money. What Solomon is basically saying is, offer God the first and best part of your income, of your revenue. Um, and so tr he's saying trusting God is actually a matter of action in verse 9 by offering God the first and best part. The thing is, when, when we think we're wise in our own eyes, we have this tendency to think that um, our money came about, uh, came about as a result of our really smart, stunning sales techniques or because we zigged instead of zagged. And, and so we, we have this tendency, we think that money is c coming from our doing. And that's the, the kicker in verse 10, uh, where he says this, Then he'll fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with the finest wine, grain and grapes. He's talking about harvest stuff. And if you know anything about agriculture, you can work the land and work the land and work the land, but ultimately, you really need God's help to have a really bumper crop harvest, don't you? All your hard work really isn't going to produce a successful harvest. You need God. 
And so that's kind of an understanding in this verse 10. But here's the promise. God will sustain your life. I mean, look at, look at the plenty part of verse 10. He'll fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow. In other words, in, in the text here, there's going to be so much juice that you're going to need several collecting pools to, to hold all of the juice that it's going to produce. Um, our, inclination, our inclination is to put our well-being and our stuff above everything else. And that's not wise. Proverbs is telling us that's not how life really works um, because uh, putting yourself first is not really the way to get ahead in life. That's what Solomon wants us to know, and that's what the writer of he, uh, Proverbs wants us to know. Uh, again, giving back to God helps you and me to learn to trust him and to show God that we can be trusted with what he's given us. Okay, so I want to ask a few questions, all right? And I always, I always want to read my questions because I'm afraid I'm not going to ask them right, okay? So here's question number one. In light of, in light of what God wants for us, uh, so to speak, here, here's, here's a question to ask. Am I giving back anything to God right now? If not, why not? What am I afraid of? Because really, a lot of times when we're not doing it, it's because we're afraid of something. Maybe we're afraid that we're not going to have enough, or maybe we're afraid that we can't count on God. And here's another part. Do I really believe that I can count on God? Here's another question. Is my giving impulsive, or is it intentional? Which would I rather it be? And then, does my current financial situation enable me to follow God, or does it have me over a barrel? And here's, here's my homework assignment for this week. It's really simple. Just give. Start giving. Uh, if you've never uh, given back anything to God or that's not something you're doing regularly and Jesus is your master and your boss, uh, I'm going to suggest, you know, start for the next three months and just start giving back, God, and, and give back 10%. Why would I suggest 10%? Two practical reasons. One, it's been around for like 4,000 years. Okay, it predates Moses, it predates Jesus, it's got this long, it's, it lasted longer than bell bottoms. It's been around for a long, long time. The second reason is it's really easy math. I mean, it is. I mean, think about it. You made $50. What's 10% of $50? Five. You made $179. What's 10% of $179? $17.90. Now, middle schoolers, I have been told that when you covered this, Coming up with 10% was very hard without phones and calculators. <laughs> Moms and dads, you have another homework assignment. Apparently, math is needed. <laughs> okay? So, but 10, 10% is really easy math, or at least it should be. Um, and here's the thing don't sweat the whole, well, gross pay or net pay, or, you know, don't worry about it. Just start. Just start. Jenny and I, when we started doing this, um, and I, we started because I was guilted into it. We started on our net, and then a year later, after I was like, oh, wow, I can really count on God, we went to gross. Just start and, and start doing it, and don't sweat the whole thing. Remember, it's not, about, uh, it's not about the money. It's about your heart, and it's about building trust, okay? Um, if you're already con uh, giving back to God regularly, I'd like to challenge you to reevaluate it. Seriously, take another look. Ask God what he wants you to do in 2011, Maybe he wants you to adjust up or down or diversify or whatever that means. Um, as a result of preparing and studying for this series, I've changed my giving because in the, in the matter of studying all these texts, God was like speaking to me. Hello, Max, it's me. 
And, and, and I was like reminded again of just how much the, there's a connection between what we do here and what life is going to be like in heaven. And selfishly, I'm motivated to pay it forward, so to speak. Um, and here's some practical advice from a guy named Wesley Wilmer. He wrote this book called God and Your Stuff. It's a really good book. If you've never read it, I would, I would encourage you to read it, God and Your Stuff. And here's what he says. Um, give to God first. Um, and he, what he means by that is write that check, make that withdrawal before you do the others. Because if you do the others first, then it just, you know, the God money gets gobbled up. I love the way Mike Lesage puts it. He says, you know, when I write that check to God first, I always have the money at the end of the month. Um, and then secondly, give systematically. If, you, if you're a budget person, make it part of your budget. Um, and then give according to your means. Paul has this uh, statement he makes in 2 Corinthians where, he's, where he says, you know, give according to your means. And what that, what that means is this. If you're a single mom and you've got a gackle full of kids at home, you probably shouldn't be giving at the same percentage level as a professional making a six-figure income, okay? Keep that in perspective. Give according to your means. Uh, give regularly. If you're paid twice a month, give twice a month. If it's every other week, give every other week. Um, but give regularly. And then give quietly. Unlike the guy there where he makes a show. You know, you don't have to sing or draw attention. Give quietly. What you do in secret, God sees and he will reward you. And then give with a proper attitude. Out of love and cheerfully. Why? Because God's given you so much. He's given you everything. Why not give something back? There was a man who lived a long time ago named John Wesley. Um, I could give lectures for long periods of time. He's just a fascinating guy. He was a little pibsqueak, short guy. He literally changed England and the United States, both. England would have had a bloody revolution where they cut off heads and did all kinds of things had it not been for the rise of Methodism. And the United States would have been a very different place if Methodists hadn't just taken the country by storm, which they did in the late 1700s and early 1800s. Okay, the degree to which he was used by God is amazing. The thing that's not very well known, or he did this teaching, and he said this. Here's, here's your uh, academic thing for the day. It's called the Wesley Trilateral. Wesley Trilateral. <laughs> Hard to say. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That's the Wesley Trilateral. And we could talk about that for several class sessions, but we're not going to. I want to tell you about his life. At a day and time when uh, 30 pounds a year was a comfortable life, 30 pounds a year, one year John Wesley made 1,400 pounds, okay? And so, you know, you fill out the thing, this is how much I made. When it came to the English tax commissioners, they were absolutely befuddled because here was a man who claimed to have earned 1,400 pounds and yet he only had four pieces of silver that could be taxed two spoons in Bristol, and two spoons he carried on person. <clears throat> Back then, you had to pay a tax on silver. They could not understand how a man that wealthy would spend so little on himself and give so much away. They launched an investigation. And sure enough, Wesley was telling the truth. Okay? <clears throat> Again, this is an issue of faith. It's an issue of the heart. And uh, to do that, I want to I close out with a very practical illustration. It's one I used to like four or five years ago. So is there anyone here who's been here three years or less who loves chocolate? Oh, come on down. It's your day. And maybe Miss Ella's day too. No chocolate for her. You love chocolate? Do you get to eat chocolate a lot? I know. I have like two uh, chocolate muffins and they are absolutely amazing. Did you 
did you get to have breakfast this morning? Was it really good? No. <laughs> it wasn't chocolate good, was it? No. No. Do you ever get hungry in church? I am now watching you eat that. <laughs> you know, I kind of feel bad eating this in front of you and that I have two of them. Let's all pray for Karen. God, <laughs> would you please give Karen food for her hunger? Amen. You hang in there because I know God's going to provide. <laughs> I do. I do. Now, if God sees everything and he sees who has two and who has none, what do you think God would say to me? Share. There you go. And if you need a water to wash it down, it's up here for you. Share. Exactly. Is it about the muffin? No. It's about the kind of person that God wants me to be. And when I learn to trust God, when I learn the art of generosity, I'm becoming more like God, who is generous at his core. That's how he designed life to be lived. Can I pray for you and pray for me?